Hello and happy new year. Welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a podcast that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of liberal feminists. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer with The Daily Signal, and joining me today is... Kate Trinko, and I am managing editor of The Daily Signal. She's also my boss, so hopefully I don't get in trouble on this episode. Except Kelsey's better at podcasting (laughs) than I am. Kicking it off, we're of course going to start with our first segment called That Happened, where we talk about some of the more ridiculous and hypocritical news stories of the week. So this week, we have to start with what happened on The View. We had some celebrity big name feminists issue some interesting responses to the protests that we've been watching happening in Iran, comparing those protests over in Iran to the hashtag resistance against President Donald Trump here in the United States. We have a clip from Joy Behar, who is actually comparing these protests uh, in Iran to the U.S., and actually suggesting that the U.S. is heading down the same path as Iran um, in the sense that they are going to, we are going to start stoning people for being gay like they actually do in Iran. So take a listen for yourself. If somehow they're able to, uh, you know, get themselves free from these chains that bind them from this autocratic regime, it would be a huge game changer the world over. I think that's true in this country also. We can get away from him. What's what's important all... What's, I, I think what's what's been striking to me, and I don't, we don't have the video, but of the woman uh, standing in, in the public square taking off her hijab, which is truly yeah. a statement because what's supposed to be empowering about for Muslim women about wearing the hijab is your decision to do it or not. Mm-hmm. That's a very personal decision by Choice. most Muslim women. And mm-hmm. in the United States, you have the decision to do that. In Iran, you yeah. must wear the yeah. hijab. Also, and so I think it's... It, and they talked about the Me Too movement. What was so interesting is the movement that you've seen here here across the United States by women, the women in Iran are saying, I want my freedom too. And I just think that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So powerful. I just think having any kind of conversation about moral relativism in a country where Mm -hmm. we couldn't be sitting here without our heads covered, where gay people are literally, literally murdered and stoned to death in the same streets and comparing it somehow to what's going on in the United States of America, for me, when we have these conversations somehow comparing the United States to Iran, that's where I I end conversations and where I just leave because I think it's ridiculous. But you just said we need to rise up against Trump in the same way, like Ayatollah Khomeini is somehow morally relative to President Trump. I think that's right. apples and apples it's not equal mm-hmm. but we're on a very slippery slope slope in this country toward throwing democracy out the window every the single day we have to defend the- so that voice of reason you heard there towards the end was the voice of Megan McCain. She is the conservative Republican on the very liberal panel of The View, trying to be a voice of reason amongst those voices like Joy Behar. And we're going to get a bit uh, we're going to we're going to touch on the absence of a lot of these big name liberal feminist voices um, on the protests in Iran a little bit later in the show. But right now I do want to ask ask 
Kate what she thinks of Joy sort of trying to say that America is heading on the same path as Iran. Um, What's your response? Well, um, you know, I, of course, I can't remember who it's by, but I was reading an article a few months ago where someone said, like, one of our big problems today is we have no context for anything. Everything is in the moment. We have no historical knowledge. We have no perspective. We have no knowledge of foreign affairs, et cetera. And I think this shows it so clearly. I mean, the way that women live their day-to-day life in Iran is so horrible, frankly, and they have so few options. And, you know, when I was listening to Behar speak, like my first thought was like, this is why like every three months there's an article about how therapist offices can't handle all the people fretting about Trump. Like everyone is so stressed out because they're being told by people that they trust, oh, we're like one step away from becoming Iran, which is insane. It definitely shows a level of intolerance. I know I personally studied international affairs in college, and it's part of the reason I wanted to go into media because I realized how hashtag privileged (laughs) we are here in the United States as men and women for the rights and freedoms that we have. And I think it's incredibly insulting. And um, to be honest, I think it's it's immoral to compare the United States to Iran uh, because we are so far from that. And no matter who our president is, we have a democratic system that has withstood um, the the types of intolerances that you see on a daily basis somewhere in Iran. Uh, but that wasn't the only ridiculous thing that Joy Behar said this week. Oh, good. Um, she also said that President Trump needs to be medicated and hospitalized. This is a new but yet recycled line of attack that we're seeing by liberals. Lawmakers concerned about President Trump's mental health apparently summoned a Yale University psychiatry professor to Capitol Hill last, last month for two days of briefing about his behavior. Um, this, this is, this is interesting. I didn't know you could diagnose a person without actually meeting with them and um, going (laughs) through physical and mental examinations. Of course, it was almost all Democrats. There's one Republican senator apparently who attended this meeting on Capitol Hill, who we do not know who that member is. I'm sure we all have a few guesses. Um, But this line of attack seems, seems to be what we're going to see from Democrats this year, that he is mentally unfit to be president. Right. And I think, you know, as you said, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not familiar with professional norms, but I'm pretty sure that, yes, you cannot diagnose someone. And it makes light of something. You know, I mean, I think actually, you know, in the United States, we have more awareness now of mental health and its importance, which is great. But then if people are all like doing, oh, diagnosis from tweets and ever like that sort of undermines the new credibility it has that you need to take care of your mental health as well as your physical health. But anyway, no, I mean, obviously you can't do it. And I think it also shows, like, again, no perspective, no context. Like, you may not like Trump's style of communication, um, but this is someone who has been a professional success for, you know, 50 years or so. Like, if he had mental instability, this would have come out before now. I think at the end of the day, it's only going to drive up the support for President Trump because it's just another example of this hysteria where I think most reasonable and rational Americans know that it's grossly inappropriate to be attempting to diagnose someone in a secret back room on Capitol (laughs) Hill and then figure out what to do about it. 
Yeah, it sounds like a bad reality show, which actually, yeah, maybe Trump would want to produce it post. Is this Democrat crazy? Okay, well, over in Iceland, um, it has now become the favorite country of feminists, at least on Twitter. The Associated Press reported that um, they are pushing to have um, more to have essentially require equal pay in more stringent ways. Quote, companies with more than 25 workers will have to obtain an equal pay certification from an accredited auditor, showing that they are basing pay differences on legitimate factors such as education, skills, and performance. Big companies with more than 250 employees have until the end of the year to get certification, while the smallest have until the end of 2021. The certification must be renewed every three years. So this is quite extreme, but not extreme enough to stop liberal feminists here in the United (laughs) States from supporting it. They're already applauding this and saying that the United States should adopt the same policy. Uh, This is, I think, once again, quite misleading, as we've talked on this show about in the past. The gender wage gap is... um, you know, it's it's exaggerated quite often. Um, a lot of people say that the difference between men and women is 80 cents to every dollar. But when you actually factor in things like occupation, hours, work, education, that wage gap sw- shrinks substantially. And uh, what remains is an unexplained wage gap, which is tiny. Five to seven percent. And what's interesting is it's the same unexplained wage gap here in the United States and in Iceland. Right. And I think that's something that, one, we don't know if maybe we just haven't identified the factors or... Yeah, there might be a small amount of discrimination. I think something, um, a study or something that came out a few years ago that I wrote on at the time said that one of the differences between men and women was men would generally ask for more than they were offered at their first job, and women didn't even ask. Um, I will say that I asked and did not get for my first (laughs) job, but... Um, you know, I think there's some social things that, you know, girls should be um, or women should be more assertive sometimes. And, you know, at the same time, I think it's good, um, you know, sometimes for bosses um, to realize that sometimes you can interpret a girl or a woman. I sound so juveniling <laughs> here um, asking for more money in a different way than you would treat a guy. Um, so I think it's worth contemplating that if you're a boss. But for the most part, I think let's just get more assertive. <laughs> I completely agree because I think until I started reading some of these books like Lean In from Mm -hmm. um, Sheryl Sandberg, I maybe was intimidated by asking for more. But when you actually know that there's actual statistics behind it, that women are less likely to ask for raises, um, it kind of gives you a kick in the butt to stand up and (laughs) ask for them. And I'm doing this podcast, of course, with my boss. (laughs) Luckily, she's a woman, though. I think that um, that helps. Um, But. But I I think that it's good for us to be having these conversations. I think it's bad for countries to be forcing these really stringent regulations on companies. This regulation applies to any company that has more than 25 employees. And Mm -hmm. I think just like what we saw happen um, when Obamacare was implemented here, people are going to figure out ways to work around the system. They're going to hire more contract workers. And the results aren't going to be good for any employees, men or women. Right. And it's just going to be another drag on companies, another thing they have to do that isn't creating a product or a service that people want. It's just complying with government regulations. And yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see whether it results in a change. I mean, the other thing I would say is, you know, yeah, as a boss, 
it's hard, like education, skills, and perform. I mean, I guess sort of, but sometimes it's sort of hard to quantify something like someone's just competent and gets the job done. And sometimes it's the less educated person is actually better at their job. So this sort of stuff makes me very nervous. Very nervous because, again, I'd be, I, I would watch out um, for this coming here in the United States because already we're seeing some people, Senator Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. was applauding right. this. We're seeing them ab- ab- applaud it and support it, and I'm sure they're going to attempt to bring it here, but we'll see what happens there. And I, oh, I was just going to add, I think um, on that note, um, our colleague, Romina Boccia at the Heritage Foundation had mentioned that one of the side effects um, of rules like this could lead to less workplace flexibility because they were so worried about keeping everything within you know certain rules and fulfilling it. And I think for you know many women who want to you know maybe work part time or spend more time with their kids or you know want to be home for school um, after school, et cetera, like it's just unfortunate you know that that this sort of stuff could hamper that. Yes, and as she pointed out in that piece, which I'd encourage you all to read on the Daily Signal, the people who end up valuing workplace flexibility the most, according to studies, are women. Mm -hmm. So these laws intended to help women can actually end up hurting women. Okay, well, moving on to our last That Happen segment of the week. This has been kind of an underreported story um, at the beginning of this new year. I think um, maybe purposely on Planned Parenthood's behalf, what we're about to talk about is Planned Parenthood dropping its annual report right around the new year, right when there's a lot of breaking news happening, a lot of scandalous news, ridiculous headlines happening in terms of President Trump, but Planned Parenthood's annual report was released, and this is a report where we get to actually see the number of abortions they are performing each year, and that grand total um, that grand total was 321,384, uh, and the number of abortion referrals, just to compare the two, was 3,889. And then they had taxpayer dollar revenue in um, they 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 received over five hundred million dollars from taxpayers and uh, they actually profited. They ended up with nearly one hundred million dollars in excess revenue. So when you hear this narrative from Planned Parenthood that they're having to shut down their doors and women are going to lose access to reproductive health care. Well, why don't they step up and start spending some of their own money, the $100 million that they have just sitting around in their back pockets? Right. And I think the other thing that came up besides like the insane number of ratio of abortions to adoptions, which I think shows that they clearly are an abortion provider, not an all-around reproductive health place, as they like to paint themselves, is um, their number of um, like donors or supporters went from 500000 a few years ago to $1.5 million. Um, which I think shows that if they wanted to be pi- privately funded, I mean, I would rather they just stop killing babies, but okay. But like, they're, they don't need the taxpayer money. There are people out there who are willing to support them. So I think, um, yeah, this whole narrative of like poor, helpless Planned Parenthood, it's just ridiculous. I think that's a point that so many people on the left miss about the debate over Planned Parenthood. They think it's just about conservatives don't like abortion, so they want to shut down Planned Parenthood. But the reality is, yes, conservatives don't like abortion. But what this debate is really about when it comes to Planned Parenthood and why this name is front and center in this debate is because Planned Parenthood is receiving a half a billion dollars in taxpayer 
money to subsidize Mm -hmm. those abortions. So the debate is not just about abortions. It's about whether taxpayers, some of whom have a great moral objection to abortions, whether they should be forced to subsidize um, these abortions. One other thing I wanted to point out in this latest report, which I personally found really interesting, is Planned Parenthood apparently prescribes some sort of contraceptives or birth control to 1.8 million women. And yet the amount of pap test that they um, did the same year was 281,000, 100,000. So according to these numbers, approximately 15% of women who are getting prescribed some sort of birth control are actually getting pap tests. And I'm sorry to talk about this in front of any of our male listeners, but if you are a female and you go to a well women's appointment, it is routine that you are going to get a pap test, particularly if you are getting prescribed something like birth control. And so Planned Parenthood goes out on TV and says how they are taking care of women and they're so important to women's reproductive health. But the reality is if you go to any other OBGYN in this entire country, that is going to be a routine procedure that comes highly recommended. So my question is, does Planned Parenthood really care about women's health if they're choosing not to conduct these basic exams and they are they just trying to prescribe birth control because we know they actually make a great profit off of prescribing women birth control. Right. And of course, those screenings can help catch things like cervical cancer in the early stages. So, you know, hopefully women are able to recover. So, yeah, great point that if they actually cared about women's health, that would be included. And uh, the amount of cancer screenings that they are performing, <laughs> which um, are not mammograms, um, those those are all dropping. So basically, the number of abortions Planned Parenthood is, prescri- is performing is remaining the same. But all of these other um, sort of women's reproductive health care examinations um, that they used to be providing are, are actually declining. And the last thing I want to say on this is... <laughs> <laughs> While all these other um, uh, other tests are declining, um, one service that is increasing at Planned Parenthood is uh, is hormone therapy for transgender patients. So, seventeen states um, with Planned Parenthood locations are now providing hormone therapy for transgender patients. I would love to know what kind of screening they're doing for that. If they're not, if they're giving birth control without pap smears, I can only imagine how little they're requiring before you start altering your hormones, which is just so irresponsible, if true. It's scary. And then also to add another layer to that, because taxpayer dollars are fungible, that means our taxpayer dollars are also probably going to help people switch genders. Right. And I think it's important to remember here that in the past, when the Republicans have talked about defunding Planned Parenthood, they have pointed out that there are women's health centers across the country. There is a way for women to receive treatment and care for, you know, cancer screenings and all so many other needs without needing to rely on Planned Parenthood. Those uh, federally qualified health care centers outnumber Planned Parenthood locations 20 to 1. You just don't hear about them because they don't have all the marketing dollars like Planned Parenthood to market themselves. But they also provide um, care for people, um, whether or not you can afford it. And they care for women, not just in terms of their reproductive rights and their reproductive body parts, because believe it or not, women you know consist of more than just our <laughs> reproductive body parts. They're going to care about you as a whole person and your whole health. Right. And I think that's what you as a woman miss 
business, if you go to Planned Parenthood, um, they're just taking care of one piece of you versus these other highly qualified, federally qualified healthcare centers um, will take care of the whole of you. Right, which is so important. I know you've done a lot of great reporting on how um, you know birth control is sometimes tied to depression and stuff, which I think shows the need to look at the whole person, not just the reproductive system. Exactly. I'm not sure Planned Parenthood is qualified to help you if you do experience these um, thoughts of depression and suicide, which, again, we've covered on this show. Well, that wraps up our ha- That Happens segment for this week. We will be right back to analyze some of President Trump's tweets this week and also crown our problematic woman of the week. Welcome back to Problematic Women. We want to show you a fun video next. Uh, This is from one of the heritage researchers um, addressing some of President Trump's tweets. Kate, I think you have more. Yeah, James Carafano of the Heritage Foundation is um, the head of our foreign policy department. He is not worked up over Trump's (laughs) tweets, which makes him very unique in D.C., and he explains why here. So you probably heard, of course you've heard, everybody's heard on this. After New Year's, President Trump was tweeting about North Korea, and it's the war of the buttons. The North Korean president said he had a button, and then Trump said he had a button, and then everybody just started tweeting and screaming and shouting about it, and it's all just stupid. But first of all, nobody has a button. You know, and this whole notion that it's like Dr. Strangelove and just people shoot nuclear weapons whenever they want, I mean, that's just absolutely fatuous. The president doesn't have a red button on his desk. Likely Kim doesn't either. So these are metaphors for, I've got nuclear weapons. Yeah, well, I've got nuclear weapons too. But that actually isn't really news. If you actually listen to Kim's speech, he didn't actually threaten to start a nuclear war with the United States. He said, if you attack me, I will defend myself with my nuclear weapon. And we kind of already know they have nuclear weapons. So there's actually no news there. And Trump tweeted back. He says, yeah, well, I have nuclear weapons, too. Well, that's not news. And if they attack us, we've always said we will retaliate with nuclear weapons. So there's actually no news in this news cycle. And what the real news is, is we're starting 2018 exactly the way we ended 2017, which is all these pundits and reporters obsessing about Trump's tweets in absence of any other knowledge or information or context, right? Statecraft is not just about what people say, it's about what people say in the context of what they do. And what's sad and pathetic is seeing reporters just going bonkers over these tweets without actually doing any analysis of, well, is there actually any change to U.S. policy? Is there actually any escalation in the tensions with North Korea? Which, which of course, there aren't. Now, you know, I think that might have been forgivable a year ago when we had a new president. But here we are a year later. We have a lot of policy. We've got a brand new national security strategy. And the president's been president for a year. He hasn't started any nuclear wars. He hasn't actually started any new wars. And so the notion that we're still just going to run around and scream about the tweets and not actually look at what American policy is, you know, they can do that. But I think we ought to make a resolution as Americans. We're going to be sensible and we're actually going to look at what our government does rather than just look at what people are tweeting about. That would that would be my resolution for 2018. Of this tweet was CNN's Brian Stelter, who was saying that he had contacted Twitter to see if this violated the terms of service because you're not supposed to declare nuclear war on the platform. I think I'm not a foreign <laughs> policy expert, but I think that, you know, Kim Jong-un is not known for um, his super polite rhetoric and stuff. I think that Trump actually tweeting about him this way and poking fun at him puts him in his place in a great way um you know i 
you know, years ago, uh, 30 Rock used to do this great stuff on North Korea and how funny it was. And I think that's actually like the worst thing a dictator can be is ridiculous. So I think Trump actually knows what he's doing here. I think we should start a new hashtag, and in addition to fake news, hashtag no news. So when <laughs> all the reporters, um, you know, voice their hysteria over President Trump's latest tweets, we just say hashtag no news and have Carafano explain why. Um, but I also think there's yet again a level of hysteria to a le- level of false hysteria to the outrage expressed after President Trump tweets because. In this case, if people actually thought we were on the verge of a nuclear war with North Korea, our lives would be on the line. And I would hope that we are all on the streets protesting, doing whatever we can to stop this from happening. But the reality is nobody's nobody's that concerned. Um, it's sort of like the, this. The, uh, there's an interesting parallel between that and what you see happen in the stock market. When you turn on the TV, it seems like everybody and their moms hates President Trump. And yet some people apparently like him and believe in what he's doing uh, because the stock market is, just hit a new high yesterday. So um, I think it was this was a great video by our colleague at the Heritage Foundation. It is up on the Heritage Foundation's Facebook page. I encourage you all to go watch it again and maybe give it a share. Yeah, and I would. I, I love the idea of a hashtag that is no news. <laughs> no news. <laughs> All right. Well, for our last piece of news for this podcast, we, of course, need to crown our problematic woman of the week. So this week, I'm quite excited to crown all the Iranian women who are ripping off their hijabs, protesting their leader um, as... Simultaneously, American women are getting ready to put on their pink you-know-what hats for a second time to protest President Trump on the anniversary of his inauguration. We hit on this earlier in the show, but I really just want to stress how problematic these Iranian women are being. And it's, again, we say this often, by being a problem to the system, that's how you get things done. And that's why actually being problematic is a good thing. You can actually accomplish really incredible things. And um, the women in Iran, according to the Human Rights watch are routinely and systematically discriminated against and oppressed. So they're banned from sports stadiums, even when their husbands, brothers, or sons are playing in the game. If they're married, they can't leave the country without their husband's permission. And they apparently can't even be happy because according to the BBC in 2014, when three men and three women uh, produced a little fun music video dancing to Pharrell Williams' song, Happy, they were sentenced to up to 91 lashes and one year in jail. Women in Iran are also forced to follow a mandatory dress code that requires them to wear the hijab. So while here in the United States wearing the hijab is a sign of female empowerment because it is your choice to wear it, in Iran it's a sign of oppression because they don't have that choice. Um so we want to give a shout out to all the women in Iran. I wish that more of them could watch this if they had more of an open and free internet. Um, but you know, we want we want to voice our support for them. We'll see where these protests are going. They already are starting to die down, but we can't necessarily trust um, the reports we're hearing through the media because there's really hardly any reporters who are in Iran able to tell us what's happening. Right, and um, although as a side note, I was like, I kind of wish I was banned from sports stadiums. 
No, I think it's incredibly brave of them, and I think it is really, truly inspiring. You know, when you read about the history in this country, which really was never at the point, you know, Iran is at, obviously, but even hearing about female suffragettes like Susan B. Anthony and all the stuff they did, it's amazing. And I just feel like these women are so courageous to come out like this because, you know, when these protests are over, they will not be forgotten. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, people will, you know, they will be remembered and people will be suspicious of them. And I I just can't imagine living in a regime like that. And I am so grateful that we live in a country where women have equal rights. And that's that's why I think it's so telling when American celebrity feminists are silent in their support for the women in Iran. Um, and this is yet again why I think so many of us on the conservative side having have a hard time with identifying with this brand of uh, first world American feminism because we actually know and understand there are a lot of true inequalities out there. Um, women are truly discriminated against in places like Iran. And I thought it was interesting that last year, the American press, the Washington Post, declared 2017 the year of the woman. Um, and I thought there, that was a very selfish perspective of the year of a woman. It was very big for us here in the United States. But let's look at women internationally. Women exist more than just here, um, right. here in this country. And we know that massive reforms are coming in Saudi Arabia, for example, where women this year, guess what? They'll be allowed to drive. <laughs> so I think um, when it comes to women's equality, the world still has a ways to go and anything that American women can do to elevate these voices when we see women ripping off their hijabs during a protest in a place like Iran, we should be out there doing what we can to support them. Right. I mean, imagine if all these celebrities who, you know, are constantly wearing Planned Parenthood pins or T-shirts like wore like, you know, Iranian women support T-shirts on Instagram. Like that would be amazing to spread awareness and, you know, encourage. I mean, many of them are worldwide celebrities. And as you said, it just seems like it's mostly a deafening silence. It's sad, but uh, we're doing what we can to support them, and we appreciate all you listening doing your part, too. That wraps up our Problematic Women show for this week, so thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please don't be shy in letting us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And follow my work also at The Daily Signal and at Katrina Trinko on Twitter. This podcast is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. You can tweet segment ideas to her on Twitter at Lauren Eliz Evans. All the Heritage Foundation's podcasts are now featured on Ricochet Audio Network podcast. So if you like this, you can check out more there. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with all of your friends and supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.